Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jim, we are here with our 8 from 18 episode, 8 takeaways from the past year. That's right. And our topics include... Women just aren't going to take it anymore. Don't count capitalism out. And identity politics are back. And that's not a good thing, among others. Yeah. Also, debt is back. And that's a really bad thing. And right at the end, so far the system works. We'll explain in eight takeaways from 2018 with some of our guests. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Topic one. <laughs> Women just aren't going to take it anymore. We're going back to our first show of the year with Claire Kane Miller, who writes about gender, families, and the future of work for The Upshot, a New York Times site on policy and economics. Yeah, according to multiple surveys, and, and I as a guy found this really surprising that about half of all women in the workforce say they've personally experienced or suffered from at least one form of sexual harassment. Here's Claire Kane Miller. Yes. And it's especially happens when you start naming the behaviors. If you ask women, if they've experienced harassment, about a quarter say yes. And then if you say, have you experienced these things? And then you name specific behaviors that qualify as harassment, that shared doubles to half of women. I mean, this is the range of things from crude jokes that make for an uncomfortable workplace all the way to, you know, quid pro quo for sexual favor, some of the things we've been hearing about with Harvey Weinstein and others. And now those others include Les Moonves, who was fired by the board of CBS just weeks ago from his job as chairman and CEO. And those Les Moonves revelations are just mind-blowing. You think you've heard the worst, and it just keeps getting worse. It's long overdue that this stuff's coming out, and those guys are getting kicked out. In that How Do We Fix It episode last January, Claire told us that most workplace training aimed at stopping sexual harassment is actually pretty bad. They include boring lectures and PowerPoint presentations that many people don't pay much attention to. But some forms of training may actually work. Sure. The one that I found the most interesting because it's been proven in research on places where it's already being used is called bystander training. And essentially, it's everyone's responsibility to prevent harassment. So right away, you get out of this mold where there's a harasser and a victim. Now it's everybody's responsibility. And what that does is it really creates a culture where harassment can't even start. And if it does start, it's stopped. And it sounded 
a little bit intimidating to me when I first heard, like, who is going to be brave enough to go into a conversation, especially if it's a powerful man, and stop it? But that's really not what it's about. It's much smaller things. So what are some of the kinds of things someone could say if they witness something like this happening in front of them in their workplace? One thing they can say to break up the situation in the moment is, I'm going to go grab coffee. Will you come with me? Or you could go and interrupt the victim and say, you know what? Someone needs you in the conference room right now. And you make that up. But what it does is it removes her from the situation. Another piece is talking to colleagues about it. A big part of building a culture is making sure that this isn't secretive. So that means saying, I heard what he said earlier. Did you guys hear that? I thought that was completely inappropriate. Did you agree? Claire Kane Miller on episode 136. On the brighter side, in a lot of ways, 2018 was kind of the year of the woman. Yeah, a few examples. Most of the biggest winners in midterm election House and governor's races flipped by Democrats were women. Uh, This may well have profound implications for the future and should help both fundraising and recruitment of women candidates. In 2019, Jim, Nevada becomes the first state legislature in U.S. history to have a majority of women lawmakers. And also in entertainment, a fascinating study that came out uh, just weeks ago from the Creative Artists Agency, a big player in Hollywood, which found that movies starring women in lead roles earn more money than ones with men as big stars. And, you know, a lot of people who cover Hollywood, as I have, know that there are certain stars over the years, like Jodie Foster, who are far more reliable in terms of guaranteeing the box office of a movie than most male stars. Right, right. Number two, debt is back in a big, bad way. Maya McGinnis is an anti-debt warrior and president of the Bipartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Workplace. Since we did this episode with Maya in May, coverage of rising federal budget deficits has been growing. Yeah, I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about this in 2019. We have record federal government deficits at a time of pretty strong growth. Not a good sign. Here's Maya. The debt will be as large as our entire economy by the end of a decade. Um, Interest payments are the single fastest growing part of the budget. Basically, every indicator that you could look for in terms of the numbers are on flashing red alert. Wait, you said that the debt is going to be as big as the entire economy. Yeah. Okay, I'm having trouble having that even sink in. (laughs) It, It should be hard to sink in. What I really feel is that As bad as it is economically, it now reflects our broken governance system. Uh, The average debt relative to the economy in this country has been below 40 percent. So it's going to be significantly higher than that. It's already at 77 percent. But that slows economic growth. So when you say that that within a decade, Mm -hmm. our total federal debt, uh, what we owe, will be equal to the economy, you, you mean that it will be equal to one year's output of all the goods and services of the U.S. economy, yes? Precisely. Maya McGinnis, who points out that with rising interest rates and a new one was announced by the Federal Reserve just days ago, the cost of servicing the government's debt will keep going up. This is a problem that is a bipartisan one that goes way back and the certainly the tax cuts didn't help but the scary thing is it's something over 80 percent of government expenditures are not even subject to any kind of um, curtailment no matter who's in the white house Uh, most of this goes to entitlements 
it seems that the political will to grapple with this is not there in either party. If anything, with the Democrats lurching farther left, I think that this problem is going to be around for a long time. Number three, the economy is slowing down and financial worries are heating up. Early in 2018, we spoke with the financial reporter and author Diana Henriquez in an episode called When Will Wall Street Crash? Yeah, that was recorded at a time when Wall Street was doing pretty well. But in in recent weeks, we've seen some wobbly days. Diana is the author of a book, A First Class Catastrophe, about the single worst one-day meltdown in Wall Street history back in October of 1987. Could another meltdown happen again? Today's investment players in the street are many times bigger than the giants who battled with each other and nearly tipped the boat over in 87. Two firms, Vanguard and BlackRock, two money management firms together, control $10 trillion. Now, if you'd said that to anybody on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange in 1987, that we would someday reach that point, they would say, you're out of your mind. That will never happen. We are living in a day when the risks we discovered in 87 have been magnified and amplified and sped up by social media, by high tech, uh, by flash trading in ways that we're only beginning to vaguely understand in which regulators have not adapted to at all. Even professional money managers are alarmed about the volatility, the fragility of the market structures on which they rely. So yes, we, we now have a huge stake in the stock market, but less understanding of it and less ability to control it. Diana Henriquez, who argues that financial regulation needs to be thoroughly overhauled, and that means simplifying our balkanized system of regulation. Exactly. And on that happy note about possible meltdowns, don't count capitalism out. Topic number okay. four. Okay, this one is this is one of my contributions. Yeah. There's been a lot of, I think, kind of silly celebration of socialism lately by people who've never been within thousands of miles of a country that really operates on genuine socialist principles. But I think we saw several examples this year of why free markets are still the best way to enable opportunity for all, you know, even despite fears that AI might take all the jobs or inequality will destroy the middle class. I think my take is that with the right kind of sensible regulation to harness the, the, progress and growth that comes from free markets, we can really succeed in addressing those problems with, without having to completely blow up our entire system. Yeah, you may be surprised. I agree with you with, with this caveat that, that capitalism will be counted out unless it reforms. And I think 2018 continued a trend, for better or worse, many working class people are utterly fed up that prospects for their kids appear to be worse than they were when they were the same age, and uh, they hate being talked down to. In Italy, we saw a marriage of left and right-wing populism with the new government. In France, we may well be seeing the beginnings of it with the Gilets Jaunes. And in the U.S., calls are growing for Democrats to be more populist, and that doesn't necessarily mean being more left-wing. We talked about capitalism with 
a supporter thereof, finance professor Luigi Zingales of the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. He's the co-host of the podcast Capital Isn't. Yeah, a witty title. We <laughs> talked about a crucial distinction, the difference between being pro-market and pro-business, especially pro-big business. Most people tend to use the two terms as if they were synonym. But if uh, you are pro-business, what you care about is that the existing businesses are more profitable. If you're pro-market, you want to create the conditions for all businesses to prosper, including the ones who are not represented at the table today. And to me, you sound worried about the idea that free markets have been taken over by entrenched business interests. Um, yes, I am concerned because in order to create the conditions for the market to prosper, we have to maintain freedom of entry, a competitive environment. So the antitrust should intervene to, to maintain this competitive environment. And the obsession with business, actually of both political parties these days, have created a world in which most politicians respond to the interests of business and not the interests of market or society at large. Can you give an example of pro-business versus pro-market? Oh, absolutely. So the Wisconsin governor basically allocated $3 billion to attract uh, Foxconn to operate in the state of Wisconsin. So this is Scott Walker saying to Foxconn, please come in and, and give us a bunch of jobs, yes? Exactly. And uh, But they're going to create at best 15,000 jobs. And uh, the cost of $3 billion is an extremely high price to pay. And by the way, Governor Walker is also waiving some environmental requirement just to attract business. New York is paying about $3 billion to Amazon to set up a headquarters in Long Island City. And that deal has brought a lot of criticism, which I think is completely legitimate. I mean, that's, that is just classic example of crony capitalism. But I also I want to go back to your point about the, you know, the protests in, um, in France and, and, and Italy. You know, you're looking at two of the, the most heavily regulated, least free market countries in Europe. Um, so when the system isn't working well, what I take exception to is, oh, let's blame capitalism. Maybe we need to blame a dysfunctional system that makes life hard, not just because it doesn't address the needs of the working class, but because certain policies have made things worse for the middle class or the working class. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And coming up, 8 for 18, more takeaways from our year of challenging ideas. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Number five, identity politics are back. And that's not a good thing. In September, we spoke with social psychologist Professor Jonathan Haidt, co-author of the highly praised book, The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Us Up for a Generation of Failure, a book really about young people. And part of Jonathan Haidt's message is aimed at overprotective parents who have raised fragile kids. You might think you're helping your kids by protecting them from being excluded, from being uh, you know, hurt in a wrestling match, from being scared if they're out on their own. You, you might think you're protecting them. But kids need thousands of episodes of falling down, of being excluded, of being teased. They need thousands of episodes of this for their psychological immune system to develop. And beginning in the 90s, we've been depriving our kids of the experience they need. Tens of millions of kids do Friday night football. They play competitive sports. Mm-hmm. Aren't those risky pursuits that are as alive and well in America today as they always have been and teach children about risk and responsibility and independence and team play? Okay, so tell me how many hours a month those kids are spending completely independently with no adults telling them what to do and taking responsibility for conflicts. How many? Yeah. None? Good. Zero? Yeah. I mean, we don't know. The problem is the ability to live as an independently functioning adult who can handle conflicts without the need for help from anyone else. And so kids who are from school to soccer practice, kids who are always under the supervision of adults, don't get a chance to practice it. So parents need to give kids more independence, more freedom. What can schools do? What kids need is a lot of unsupervised time to interact with each other. That's the most important thing we can do for our kids. They need playtime. They need time to get into conflicts and work them out. And we also had a fascinating conversation with journalist Selena Zito, who's been doing some very interesting reporting about the Trump coalition and trying to get a better handle on the people who voted for him. Now, in, in that reporting, you also dive into a number of regions around the country. One of them was Ashtabula County in Ohio, which went 55 percent for Obama in 2012, and then 57% for Trump in 2016. Just an incredible swing. And you met somebody there named Bonnie Smith. Tell us a little bit about her. She was a Democrat all of her life. She worked as a deputy sheriff for 32 years. And the day after she retired, she walked across the street and got the keys for her own business, a lifelong dream to own a bakery. She's on this main street in Ashtabula, Ohio. And Half the of the main street is closed or boarded up. And what was Trump's message that connected with people like this? Because you, your book has a whole series of profiles of people who were very loyal Democrats and swung, in some cases, pretty strongly um, towards towards Trump. Yeah, she voted for Barack Obama twice. This is why people bristle when you 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 turn and say, "Well, you just voted for Trump because you're a racist." Uh, because you're dumb. And she, her attitude was like, was I dumb and a racist four years ago? You know, the, the, these arguments she thinks are, are completely false. Selena Zito, in episode 166, we spoke to her during the summer. What I think is important about her work is it challenges us not to fall back on these 
easy stereotypes about people we might disagree with. And I think that goes back to the work of John Haidt and Greg Lukianoff in The Coddling of the American Mind. This tribalism that they're focusing on, they really get to the roots of how we get there. And it's not just a left-wing thing because the right does it as well. Yeah, I don't think that it should entirely be seen as the province of fragile college students. And I think that while we're talking about tribalism, we should at least mention acts of hatred that appear to be on the rise, and especially the Tree of Life synagogue attack in Pittsburgh during the fall, which left many Jews no longer feeling as safe as they once did. And anti-Semitism, the longest hatred it's been called, is still evident in America. Well, well, sadly, Jews have never been that safe in America, and certainly not in Europe. You know, there may be an upswing, but in fact, the Jews have been a primary target of these kinds of incidents going back for, for decades. And, and that's not always reported when it's not as politically convenient. But I think that's a very alarming long-term historical trend. Let's go from hatred to hope. And topic six, or takeaway six, hope from the heartland. Yeah, I love these shows. We did a number of shows about positive things happening in these sort of overlooked parts of, of America. You know, it's not all opioids and despair, although we've covered that too. Um, one of my favorites was we talked to the writer James Fallows, who's a writer whose work I've followed since I wanted to become a writer myself. And he and his wife, Deborah, wrote this fantastic book, Our Towns, that was a result of traveling all over the country and visiting small cities and towns that have found ways to kind of defy national trends and and rebuild and recover and become places where there really is some hope and some opportunity. Here's one of the stories from that book. Back to Fresno in, in California, which is anything but uh, our vision of a, of a prosperous community. <laughs> you talk about how children of farm workers are trained for higher tech agribusiness jobs. Oh, that was so, so impressive, both at the community colleges there and also some of the high schools in Fresno and the surrounding towns too. They have recognized, they have two big advantages over famous parts of California, you know, in the Bay Area or Southern California. Number one is the cost of real estate is like, you know, one fourth as much or one fifth as much in Fresno and the Central Valley as it would be in the Bay Area. So for startups, there's that huge advantage and they're trying to make the most of that. The second is they're right in the middle of the most productive agricultural land in the world. And they, they feel as if their future, among other things, can be making themselves an agriculture advanced tech center of using their proximity to these fields to have sustainable agriculture and much more um, water efficient agriculture and much less wastage. And the people they're trying to train for these advanced jobs are largely the children of farm workers, people mainly Latino, but also some blacks and whites whose parents were working in the fields and their children in these public schools are out there using GPS sensors to try to monitor the crops for efficiency and watering and just doing all these other things that make you think this is the next application of technology in the traditional industry of agriculture where it matters and where there'll be jobs. James Fallows of The Atlantic and co-author with his wife of the book Our Towns. Takeaway seven, things are better than you think. Ooh, that's provocative. 
I love this whole theme, and I think it's something that is so often overlooked. Yeah, um, yeah. A recent poll, for instance, finding that only three in ten Americans now think the country is headed in the right direction. We, where's our mojo? Right. Uh, our our guest for this episode was journalist Greg Easterbrook, and his new book is called "It's Better Than It Looks: Reasons for Optimism in an Age of Fear." And he spoke here about global health. Longevity is increasing. It's been increasing steadily since the 19th century, almost everywhere in the world. Uh, Rates of almost all kinds of diseases, including most cancers, are in long-term decline almost everywhere in the world. All forms of pollution except greenhouse gases are in long-term decline. Crime and war are both in a cycle of long-term decline. You would never believe from cable news that war is declining, but it is. And we could talk about the statistics if you want. Discrimination is in decline. Education is rising. Living standards are rising. Practically everything that's objective that we can measure with numbers has been getting better at least for years and in most cases for decades. In the area of global health, he's not saying to ignore bad news. Far from it. His point is that you have to put things in perspective progress is possible. If you're too pessimistic, you may just give up and not try to do anything. And to me, that raises the, the probably the elephant in the room in all this is the issue of climate change. The risk we're facing there continues to mount. And, you know, there's no easy fix on the horizon there. But one hopeful sign was, and, and I think it was kind of underreported, is that While the U.S. is pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord, and that's a destructive move, U.S. officials from the State Department played a fairly major role in the just-completed conference in Poland, which agreed on standards for measuring carbon pollution, and, and that at least is a hopeful sign from what was a pretty depressing year when it came to findings on global warming. And that leads us into the eighth and final takeaway. And we're running out of time, so this is brief. So far, the system works. And one example of the system working, really, Jim, I think is the is the signing into law of the sweeping criminal justice reform bill, which was truly a bipartisan piece of legislation. You know, we talk so much about division and and polarization. That was such a good example of people coming together across the political spectrum to achieve something that's so long overdue. There's a lot more to do, but we're going out on the year with something that shows some hope for the future that maybe our folks in Washington can. And actually get a few things done. Yeah, happy to end on a hopeful note. And I'm looking forward, Jim, to many more shows in 2019 on how do we fix it? Or maybe it's going to be called how do we mix it up? <laughs> it's been a good year. And thank you to all of our listeners for coming along with us on this ride. Jim, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll talk in 2019. It's how do we fix it? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies, our producer, Miranda Schaefer. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.